Embracing the Beast, Part 4 Coming Home For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. From Luke 16.24 How do we come home again to the body? In Grimm's tale, the legacy of the king's approach to resolving the problem continues in the rescue attempt as well, as we hear, From time to time, many king's sons came and tried to force their way through the hedge. But it is impossible for them to do so, for the thorns held fast together like strong hands, and the young men were caught by them, not being able to get free, died a lamentable death. Or, as Feldenkrais warns us, Stubborn effort and attempts to protect the body will not avail us in solving the problem of healing the rift between body and mind. Trying to break in by the use of force only brings up the stronger force of bracing, that is our damage control around the injury. The very unconsciousness of the control can be heard in the experiences of those I work with. Bodywork is essentially involved in bringing consciousness to areas of unconscious holding in the body, the places we call tension. Despite the wish on the part of both client and therapist that the tension should leave, often the harder the therapist works at the tension, the more resistance he or she will encounter. When I work with areas where a deep bracing is at work, it is common for my client's first awareness of the area to come as I will be told, I can feel myself resisting, but I don't have any control over it. In fact, often, their first movements towards release do not come in a softening of musculature, but actually in a heightened bracing as the body has a chance to fully feel and express its need to defend itself. Of course, reunification of body and mind and the release of muscle tension that accompanies it occurs often enough to keep people going back to massage therapists since ancient times. But any time that there is not any real depth of responsiveness, it is a sure sign that the experiences associated with the brace muscles have not yet resolved themselves enough that they are able to release the body to fluid expression again. Bringing feeling to areas of unconscious control is best mediated through focusing the mind and the use of breath. Just as breath control is so amazingly effective in pain control, breathing again can be the only way of finding feeling in the body again. Its action is so specific that I can sometimes find an area of the body that shows by its physical reactions that it is on the edge of wakefulness except that my client feels nothing there and the body is not responding. At these points, simply breathing in what is felt, even if it is only the pressure of my hand, will often be all that is needed for the place to immediately become more sensitive and for muscular awakening and response to commence. Heightened awareness of the body is an essential first step in helping it heal, but it is only the beginning. It's a long step from the initial awareness of resistance to the renewal of response that brings with it the reunification of body consciousness. It is a challenge that faces any prince who stands outside the hedge of thorns pondering the enigma of its existence and the questions that it presents. 
how to find the way through the hedge of thorns that so capably pushes back at any attempt to change its hold on the body, how to do more than raise consciousness of the wounds of the area. It is a problem that faces body therapists whenever they are working with anyone in pain. But the same issues also quietly present themselves in bodywork whenever the body is still and unresponsive to the most determined attempts to reawaken it. It is certainly a problem that each of us face whenever we seek to explore the sleeping worlds that lie within us. At this point in fairy tale and life experience, when all the tools that we have about us have failed, we have need for something other than that which we know. This is the point we come to when all else has failed and when the attempts of our wounded perspective have not found the way, when every attempt to break down the wall of control that protects a wounded body have been rebuffed and frustrated. We can find no way back into the world of the body, the world that we so easily and quickly turned our back on. In fairy tale language, the answer to the hero or heroine's troubles comes from the unexpected, from that which might have been overlooked or perhaps looked down upon. Whether it comes as a frog or one of the many other nature symbols that appear in myth and fairy tale to offer the opportunity of a new worldview, only those seekers who find value in that which seems valueless may find the help needed to resolve the unresolvable problem and eventually the secret's answer. In body work, the answer to unresolvable body tension most frequently lies in the place where we would least want to look at it, at the place of greatest pain. For as we shall see in our next tale, the indication of where we must turn for release is often at the very place we were not expecting it. In the world of the unknown, from the frog's well of the unconscious, where separation of body and mind locks our pain, and troubles sleep within us. The question at this point in body work, when the area of trauma has been awakened to consciousness, its injury felt, is learning to relate to pain. This is the most difficult place to work through in body work. Pain is not a pleasant subject. We are not pleased to experience pain in our lives, and as we have seen, we will go to great lengths to control its influence on our lives. And yet learning to relate to pain seems to be the source from which healing comes forth in bodywork. And in fact, there is every indication that much of our continued experience of pain is bound up in the very tension that holds it. Ida Rolf, the originator of deep pressure form of bodywork called structural integration or Rolfing, once wrote that the intensity of pain levels increased directly with the degree of resistance in the body. From a psychological perspective, Carl Jung wrote a similar thing when he said that at their basis, he felt that all neuroses were the result of the bearer denying his or her fate. It is as if at the moment of greatest pain, we have said, stop the world, I want to get off. And with that word stop, have pulled out from the body the life of conscious feeling and frozen that particular scene of life. Bereft of feeling, the stuff of life, the body then lies like Sleeping Beauty's sleeping courtyard or an insect caught in amber in a frozen act. It responds only to the denied messages of pain, a physical monument silently honoring a forgotten memory. 
The connection between pain and denying life impulses is also a theme that arises in the drama of the fairy tale. Let us look at what happens in the story of fairy tales when there is no longer a denial of life experience. As we have seen, the connection between pain and denying life impulses is a theme that arises in the drama of the fairy tale. But now let us look at what happens in the story of fairy tales when there is no longer a denial of life experience and the hero or heroine finally turns to meet fate's call. In the story Beauty and the Beast, pain moves through the story in many themes. First, there is the pain of the family's fall from fortune. Their friends turn away from them and they move to a cottage in the country to toil in poverty. And then there is the fear and pain of the father's meeting with the beast. He has plucked a rose for his beloved daughter Beauty from the beast's palace garden where he has received shelter from the storm. Ungrateful wretch, says his previously unseen host, who told you that you might gather my roses? Your insolence shall not go unpunished. And the terrified father begs for the beast's forgiveness, and it is finally granted, but only on the condition that the father will return in one month to give the beast one of the merchant's daughters. And she must come willingly. The wretched man goes home to his family and, as they can see, his despair is eventually compelled to tell them the story. Feeling responsible for her father's misfortune, Beauty decides that it is she who must return with him to the beast's palace. Having borne the sacrifice of her former lifestyle with grace, she is now faced with the sacrifice of her very life for that of her father. Our common reaction to pain is akin to that of Beauty's sisters who, unlike her, never fully accepted their fall into poverty. We too would distance ourselves from the experience of our fall from grace, whether in body or soul. We would try to make the experience of discomfort one of an object, and most particularly an object that is other than ourselves. We disinherit the experience, projecting it out onto a hostile outer world. In our language, this is commonly seen when we say things like, this chair is uncomfortable, rather than saying, I feel uncomfortable in this chair. In bodywork, it is common to hear a client talk about their body and its experience in this objective way. When we become victims of injury in the body, we tend to disallow any value to our own experience and more credence in the view of others, especially experts. So as we disinherit our wounds, we are giving up a degree of our own sense of empowerment. And in this vein, it is interesting to note that when told that they have cancer, it is more often the person who gets angry and gets ready to fight the death sentence of the diagnosis, who will live long past their medically projected lifespan. Because we can feel at a distance from and devalue body signals, in the initial interview of a bodywork session, I especially want to hear what my client thinks and feels about their body, not the ideas, however correct, of some other. And in the therapy session itself, I found it important to place the highest value on what the client actually feels in their body. For in bodywork, all change starts at the place of feeling, where body and mind meet. As she moves toward her fateful meeting with the beast, Beauty shows the ability to meet life experience even when it is most painful. 
Instead of turning away from the unpleasantness of life with denial, she is willing to engage with the reality of her experience. But now she must meet the beast. It is seldom that we go looking for discomfort in our lives. It is more often that it comes to us. Like the forgotten which is cursed in Sleeping Beauty, that which we have pushed away from our conscious life creates the conditions through which we are inevitably bound to that which we would deny and eventually confronted with the coped with silent wound. This is the end of part four of Embracing the Beast. Come to the final part in our next section. I look forward to seeing you then. Hi, I'm Matthew Vandergeesen. Written as an article for Massage Magazine in the early 1990s, Embracing the Beast has sustained some of the most constant interest of any of my published works. Originally intended as information for massage therapists and clients, Embracing the Beast draws upon my experience as a massage practitioner and somatic educator. It explores how we get disconnected from the body, our stuck relationship with discomfort and pain, and the unexpected pathways that can lead to healing. Embracing the Beast provides a foundation for many of the perspectives that inform the Embodiment Project. You can find out more about the Embodiment Project at somatics.ca. Thank you for listening.